Amen. Please be seated. So good to see everyone here. Pardon me. We want to welcome those that are worshiping here in our sanctuary, those who are worshiping online today from their living rooms, and those that are worshiping on our television broadcast. It's good to have everybody, the whole church, uh, together in some sense as we come for our weekly time of worship. Take your Bible, if you will, and turn instead of to 2 Timothy to Psalms 3. Uh, we're going to give you a little twist this morning. We've have committed ourselves to spending the summer studying 2 Timothy, and we, we, we still plan to do that, uh, but I want to take a break. I, 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 I felt the leadership of the Lord to go in a little different direction today, just with all that's going on in our nation, uh, with the crises that we're facing today. We're facing this uh, pandemic that everyone is aware of, this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, these are unprecedented times. We're also facing this economic struggle. So many people, millions of people, have lost their jobs and are hurting and going through such difficult times around our country. And then we face the crisis of justice denied. And that is such a difficult thing and perhaps not a, not a new crisis, but, but one we're reminded of today. And then we face the crisis of anger out of control. I don't know if our country has been in this kind of situation with all of these crises at the same time in a very, very long time. People are scared. People are fearful about the future. And so we answer today the question, what does the Bible have to say? to believers, to Christians, when, we're, when our whole world seems to be going through a time of crisis, when our country and our future, there's so many uncertainties, what does the Bible have to say? And so we'll turn to Psalm chapter 3, but I really want to draw your attention to a, to a time in history when another country was going through a terrible crisis. This was the country of Israel when David was the king many, many years ago, let me tell you what was happening. 2 Samuel 15 is where you read this story, 15 and, and the chapters that follow. But we're going we're gonna to read in Psalm 3. Let me just tell you what happens in 2 Samuel 15. Uh, David is, as I said, the king of Israel. Uh, we're approaching the end of his reign as king, and things are going poorly. Uh, there is a crisis in the country. People have lost confidence in David. The country seems to be going in all of the wrong directions. There is great fear about the future. Israel was literally falling apart. Within well, a man by the name of Absalom, who was one of the sons of King David, decides to initiate a coup. He decides he's going to take over through a violent coup. He is going to take over the throne of his, of his father. So David, King David, has to flee the city, the capital city, in shame. He is ridiculed. He is made fun of. He's criticized even as he walks down the street and out of the city. In fact, at one point, someone says, get out, get out, you man of bloodshed, you wicked man. The Lord has paid you back. And so David hears these words. He's filled with shame and regret. His head is down. This is the worst way things could end. If you would have gone back to David early in his reign as king, and, and you would have said, David, what is the absolute worst thing 
the worst thing that could happen? What is the worst way your reign could come to a close? I think he would have said decades earlier, the absolute worst thing that would have happened, that could happen, would be for one of my own children to to uh, run me out of the throne, to threaten to kill me and to take over the country, that would be the worst thing that could happen. And that is exactly what was happening. So David flees with some of his men and they go out into the wilderness. Uh, David is hiding. Nobody knows what's going to happen next. I'm sure that first night was a sleepless night as David would have had such fear and such trepidation. But David wakes up the next morning, and maybe this was two or three mornings later, we don't know exactly, uh, but I like to think of it as the very next morning as uh, David has spent his first night in the wilderness running from Absalom, David pulls out his instrument, and perhaps he plays and he sings a little, and his heart's lifted to the Lord, and then he prays the words that we read in Psalm 3. And it brought comfort and encouragement to David, and I think it brings comfort and encouragement to us, especially as our nation is going through such troubled times. So this will be a very simple message this morning. I want to read the first half of Psalm 3, the whole psalm is worth reading and studying. And then I want us to notice what David asserted. Where did David find his confidence? What gave him such such encouragement? And he tells us right here clearly in these words. So let's look, Psalm 1, I'm sorry, Psalm 3, verse 1. Some of your Bibles will include a little note before the psalm begins, and some will not. Uh, But in my Bible, and, and likely in your Bible, it says, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. So we know when this was written. He's fleeing. He's gone. He's been run out of the city. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Absalom is sitting on the throne now, and and Absalom's soldiers are chasing, looking for David to kill him. And so this is what David writes, what David prays. He says, Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. The majority of the forces were arrayed against David. They were, they were countless, the people who were, who were trying to destroy him. And then he says in verse 2, many say about me, there is no help for him in God. Many people are saying that God has left you, David, that, that there's no hope for you in God, that God offers you nothing, that you've been abandoned by God. But look at verse 3. He knows that that is not the case. He says, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. Now that perhaps is familiar to you because our choir sings a song written right from Psalm 3.3. And it's one of, I think, their favorite songs. It's one of my favorite songs. And so those words, that verse, that important verse, one of the, the most important verses in the Old Testament Uh, is probably very familiar uh, to us. And then verse 4, he says, I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I want you to see here three things that brought David such encouragement. Three things that we need to know when the world is falling apart. And like I said, this will be a simple message. You probably already see the three things. They're right there in verse 3. I'll go ahead and give you the whole sermon. 
uh, David is going to say, Lord, uh, you are my shield. Uh, Lord, you are my glory. Lord, you are the lifter of my head. And so it's simple to see those three things. The the thing that is more difficult, though, is to understand what those three things mean. And so I want to show you or remind you today what each of those three, three things mean. And I think all three of them are just amazing. Here's how David found encouragement. Number one, he knew that the Lord was his shield. The Lord is my shield, he said. Now, what does it mean, the Lord is my shield? I think there are phrases in the Bible that we just, that we just skim over and we don't stop and really think and meditate on those and pray about those and look at other places in the Bible where the same words are used. Sometimes there are phrases in the Bible we just skim over and we miss some very valuable lessons that we could, that we could find otherwise. And this is one of those places. What does it mean, the Lord is my shield? Well, first of all, a shield is a battle weapon. Do you know that? I mean, it's a defensive weapon, not an offensive weapon, but you, you take a shield into battle. You don't need a shield if you're just going to, to, to the mall to shop, right? You don't need a shield if you're just sitting with your family, watching television or eating dinner at night. The only time you need a shield is when you are in a battle. And so here the first thing we learn about this shield is that God is telling us that we're going to be in some battles. There are going to be some crises. There are going to be some problems. There are going to be times when the future is uncertain. There are going to be times when we're hurting, when life is difficult. There are going to be some battles. The the Bible doesn't say here, David doesn't have the assurance from the Lord that he will never face a hardship. He could have said that if that's what he meant. He could have said, the Lord protects me from all difficulty. But he doesn't say that. He says, the Lord is my shield. And if you need a shield, if you have a shield, you're going into battle. David communicates clearly here the the, the fact that we need to know, that we need to be reminded of, that we can be walking with the Lord. We can be right with God and still go through difficulty. I think sometimes people assume that when life is hard, when they're when there are questions that they don't know the answers to, that that must mean that God has abandoned them. In fact, that's what you see in verse 2. David says, many people are saying that God has abandoned me because life is hard. But no, God has not promised to keep us from difficulty. He has promised to be our shield in the middle of difficulty. Now, let's just be honest. That raises a difficult question. Why would God allow his children to ever be in times of difficulty. I mean, I'm a father and I have children and I try to remove as much difficulty as I can from their lives. I want their lives to be as smooth and as easy as possible. And if I can help them with something, then then, then I'm gonna help them however I can. So why doesn't God just remove the difficulty in our lives? Why does God say he'll be our shield in the fight instead of saying, I'll just remove you from the fight? Well, that's a big question and we could preach a long time about that, but, but I, I don't want to just skip over it because I know some people are wondering, some people are asking. So let me just tell you one, two, three, four quickly why God allows us to be in the fight. Uh, first, I think God allows us to go through difficulty to teach us to call out to the Lord. Uh, the truth is that most people don't really learn to pray until life is hard. Is that your testimony? 
When life is hard, when it's difficult, when we don't know which way to turn, that's when we learn to pray. I've heard many of you share testimonies with me. Pastor, I never really learned to pray until, until somebody passed away that I, that I loved. I watched them struggle with some, some, some health issue, and, I, and, and it just forced me to my knees in prayer. Or There was a time of uncertainty. I, I lost my job. I went through some difficulty. That's when I learned to pray. One of the reasons why God allows difficulty in our lives is to teach us to call out to the Lord. Secondly, sometimes God allows difficulty to come into our lives to form the character of Christ in us. The most important thing is not that I live an easy life. The most important thing is that I live a Christ-like life. And Sometimes those difficulties are to form the character of Christ. Sometimes God allows difficulties to teach us to anticipate a heavenly rest. God wants us to long for heaven. God wants us to look forward to the day that we will have perfect health, when we will have perfect peace, when we'll have full joy instead of depression, when we'll have such confidence instead of fear. God wants us to look forward to the day that we experience his presence in the fullness. And so God's not going to allow us to experience all of that here. If life were so easy here, if there were never any problems here, then we wouldn't look forward to the day he comes to get us and take us there. Sometimes he allows difficulty just to help us anticipate our heavenly rest. And then number four, sometimes he allows difficulty to give us an opportunity to honor God in hardship. You know that every time you have a problem, Especially if it's a public problem, people know that you're struggling, there's been some difficulty, some, uh, some death in your family, some, something you, you're, you're struggling with. You have an opportunity to show the world that you trust the Lord in the way that you respond, in the way that you act. You have an opportunity to bring glory to God that you wouldn't have had otherwise. There are many reasons why God allows difficulty in our lives. And David says, I know, Lord, that you are the shield. I will be in difficulties. I will need a shield. And you will be that shield. I, am, I don't often uh, recommend television programs uh, to you. Uh, but I wonder how many of you have seen on Netflix, some of you will know what that is, I suppose, and some of you will not. But there is a, there is a show on now. I don't know if you'd call it a documentary. I, I suppose you would. But it's called American Gospel. And apparently there are different episodes, but the one that is on Netflix now is called American Gospel, Christ Alone. And my family and I watched that over the weekend. That is the most powerful, the most clear presentation of the gospel uh, I think I've ever heard. Uh, they do such a good job of explaining what is the gospel and what is not the gospel. They talk about how to tell if your pastor, if your preacher is preaching and teaching the gospel or if he's teaching something else. I recommend that everybody watch it. It is, like I said, one of the best done, one of the most powerful TV shows I've ever watched. In fact, if you don't have Netflix, I, I, I'm not trying to be their advertiser, but it would be worth it to get it just to watch this. It is that good. Uh, and it'll address uh, a little bit of what I've just shared. So the, the shield is a battle weapon. There's something else I want you to see about the shield. I've been looking forward to sharing this with you. I, I spent time just praying and meditating on each part of this verse. What does it mean that the Lord is our shield? Well, a shield is something that 
takes the blows of the weapons that are used against us. You know what I mean? A shield doesn't stop the weapon. The shield doesn't keep the arrow from flying your direction. The shield doesn't keep the sword or the hammer or the ax from from being thrust towards you. What does the shield do? It simply absorbs the blow. It doesn't stop the weapon. It doesn't keep the weapon from coming your way, but it absorbs the blow. So what does it mean? What What does God mean when he says, I am your shield? God absorbs the blow. God God takes the punishment for us. God is our substitute for what evil would be done to us. So that's what a shield does, right? There's an arrow that's coming uh, towards you. There is is a sword that's been uh, swung towards you. And so instead of you suffering... You hold up the shield, the sword, the arrow hits the shield, the shield absorbs the damage. Now David wouldn't have understood all of this, but I believe it's right here in this verse. How do we understand that God has absorbed for us the attack of the enemy? Well, the Bible clearly teaches that because we have sinned, we deserve death. That's the sting. That's that's the enemy. When death comes our way, eternal death, separation from God, that's what we deserve because we sin. So how has God protected us from that? God, through Jesus, has absorbed the blow. When Jesus died on the cross, he was saying, I am your shield. Satan, bring it on. Bring on the death. Bring on the punishment. Bring on all that is due because of the sins of the people, and I will be their shield. I will stand and take the blow. Isn't that amazing? God is our shield. Let me show you how how it's expressed in the book of Isaiah. And you've heard these verses a hundred times. There's there's such precious verses, but I want want you to hear them again. And And I want you to hear them with this thought in your mind that God is our shield and he is, he is taking the blows that otherwise would come to us. And so here's how uh, the atonement uh, is explained. Here's how our salvation is explained in Isaiah 53. It says, he, God, was pierced for our rebellion. I rebelled, but God was pierced. Christ was pierced for my rebellion. He was crushed because of my iniquities. He was punished for our peace was on him. We are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Do you see how wonderful it is that he is our shield? When it comes to salvation, your only hope. When it comes to forgiveness, your only hope. When it comes to death, your only hope is that God would absorb the punishment that you are due. And that happened upon the cross because the Lord is my shield. I am a child of God. He is my shield. And then one more thing I want you to see about the shield. This is so amazing. Not only is it a battle weapon and absorbs the blow of the enemy, uh, but the shield is all around me. Look back at verse 3. It says, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. Now, that's not a normal shield, right? Ordinarily, a shield would just be in front of you. 
Somebody get behind you, the enemy gets behind you, you're vulnerable. If you turn around, you're vulnerable. But here it says, the Lord is my shield all around me. But let's, let's ask another one of those honest questions. If the Lord is the shield all around me, and so nothing can get to me, then why is it that we still face difficulties? Why do we still have diseases? Why do we still lose our jobs? Why are we still subject to violence? Why, why, why are we still struggling in so many ways? If the Lord is our shield and he is all around us, why is it that, that we struggle? Well, the Lord shields us. And, and, and the first thing you need to know is that there are some difficulties that the Lord is shielding you from. Let's just state that before we get to the question of why some difficulties come into your life. Know that, that if you're a child of God, the Lord is shielding you from some difficulties. Absolutely, your life would be very different were it not for the protection of the Lord. But God does allow difficulties to come. So what does it mean that he is our shield? If difficulties can still come, if our kids can still get sick, if we can still lose our jobs, what does it mean that he's our shield if difficulties can still come? Well, what he is promising to shield us from, what he, what he gives us this absolute promise, I guarantee that you will not be harmed in this way. What he's talking about is our salvation, our peace, our hope. I have a hope in the Lord and nothing can take that away. There may be difficulty, but I still hope in the Lord. There may be hardship, there may be failure, there may be shame at times, but I still have my salvation. God will protect me from anything that might take that away. Now in 30 plus years of counseling as a pastor, uh, I've talked to people with all kinds of problems. I am pretty sure uh, that, that you could not surprise me uh, with a counseling appointment today. Uh, I've talked to people who've been grieved over the loss of loved ones, and talked to people who have suffered financial loss, people who've been victims of violence, people with grave medical diagnoses, uh, people who have uh, guilt or shame because they've been caught in some sin, people who, who have had relationships destroyed. I've talked to people with all kinds of problems. And I've seen a lot of those people bounce back and have a, a good life. And I've seen a lot of those people just consumed by their problem and their life is destroyed. So what is the difference? The difference clearly, without exception, 30 years, here's the difference. The people who have an assurance of their salvation the people that have the hope of forgiveness, the people that have peace because of God, the people that have joy in their heart because they know that God loves them and has forgiven them and has secured a place in heaven for them, the people who have those things, those people survive. Those people have good lives. Listen, the thing that you should worry about losing is not your job, it's not your health, those things you can handle. The thing that would destroy you is if you lost your peace and your hope and your joy and the assurance of your salvation. Those are the most important things. That's what, that's what David knew. David had lost uh, a lot of things. He had lost the throne. He had lost his power. He had lost his wealth. He had lost the, the, uh, the 
recognition and the honor of the people. He lost his family. He lost everything. But, but when he woke up that morning and he began to pray to the Lord, he said, the Lord, you have shielded me and I haven't lost the most important things. I still have joy and I still have peace and I still trust you. The Lord is our shield. So we should declare that. When we go through tough times, we should remember, the Lord is my shield and I can trust him. Now, the second thing you see here in verse 3, the Lord is my shield, he says that. But then he says, the Lord is my glory. Now, there's something really unusual about that sentence. The Lord is my glory. Do you see what's unusual about that? The Lord is my glory. The Lord is my glory. What is so odd about that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. There, there are 16 occasions in the Bible that you read that phrase, my glory. 16 times at least that it refers to something spiritual. There's another time when it refers to something else. But 16 times the phrase my glory refers to something spiritual in the Bible. Now the word glory appears many, many more times, but my glory, just 16 times. 15 of those 16, the my in my glory is the Lord. It's the Lord talking about his own glory. Uh, for instance, Isaiah 42, 8, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another. Or, or we can look at uh, Ezra 39, 21, I will display my glory among the nations. It's 15 out of 16 times, it's God talking about his own glory. So this is the oddball. This is the only time it's not talking about God's glory. So what, is, what does David mean when he says the Lord is my glory? David's, David's glory. Well, we have to go back, I think, to this historical event. David has lost his glory. In, in a sense, he's lost his power. He's no longer the king. He's lost, as we said, his prestige, his home, his family, his wealth. He's lost what, what would have otherwise been some of the best things about his life. He had lost his glory. But what he says here, when he says, the Lord is my glory, he is saying, listen to this, church, he's saying, the Lord is the best thing about me. I mean, glory means the best thing about you. The glory of God is the best thing about God. The glory of David, he says, the Lord is my glory. The best thing about me is the Lord. It's, it, it wasn't my position. It wasn't my success. It wasn't the approval of people. It wasn't the love of my family. It wasn't political power. He lost all of those things. He said, but those things are not and were not and will never be my glory. The Lord is my glory. The best thing about my life is the Lord. And that's what we need to say when we go through loss, when we go through difficulty. We need to say with David, the Lord is my glory. What do you do when you're in the middle of the crisis? Say, the Lord is my glory. What do we say when we lose something valuable or we lose someone valuable? We should say, the Lord is my glory. He's the most important thing about me. What do we say when our hearts are broken? The Lord is my glory. And so David proclaimed it. He says, Lord, you are my shield. And Lord, you are my glory. You are the best thing about me. 
And then finally, here in verse 3, he says, the Lord is the lifter of my head. What does it mean, the lifter of my head? That's a, it's an odd uh, phrase, the lifter of my head. What does that mean? Well, if you hold your head high, what does it mean just in our, in our day and time? This is, this is where we get this, this phrase that we use today, to hold your head high. What does it mean for somebody today if they're holding their head high? Well, it means that they're proud, that they're confident. Maybe not proud in a sinful way, though it could mean that, but they're proud in the sense that they don't have any shame. They're confident. My head is, is high because, because I have such confidence. I'm, I'm not fearful. I'm not afraid. I'm not condemned. I'm not ashamed. I am confident. My head's high. And so if we were to call somebody a, a lifter of your head, we would say, that means that person helps you have confidence. That person helps you understand that you're, you're not guilty and shouldn't be ashamed. That person lifts, lifts your spirits. And so what does David mean when he says, the Lord is the lifter of my head? He means this. I am confident, Lord, because of you. I am confident in you. You have forgiven me and you have removed my guilt and my shame. I am a child of God. You are the creator and, and, and the sovereign of the universe and you love me. I don't have to hang my head in shame. You have lifted my head because I know who I am with you. I know that you so love and accept me. It gives me confidence you lift up my head. Now you think about it, how could David really know that? How could David say, I have confidence in my relationship with God and, and such confidence that it lifts up my head. How could David say that? Think about some of the problems in David's life. He killed somebody, right? More than one somebody. Uh, he failed as a king. He failed as a father. He failed as a husband. He failed as a believer. David failed in almost every way you could possibly fail. David's life was an absolute mess. So how could he say the Lord is the is the lifter of my head. Because David knew that God had forgiven him. David knew that God had removed his shame and his condemnation. L look at verse 4. Here we see the, the reasoning. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. What is the holy mountain? Well, that's where the tabernacle sat. That was the place of sacrifice. That's where they would go for the forgiveness of their sins. David says, I have confidence in you, God. I have confidence in my relationship with you. I have confidence that you love and accept me. I'm holding my head high because of what happens on that mountain over there. Because my sins have been forgiven. They've been atoned for. They've been paid for. And so I have confidence. It wasn't because he lived a sinless life. It wasn't because he had a track record of success. It wasn't because he was a, a good father or a good husband. It was because of his confidence in the Lord. And you know, we face, you know, we fail. None of us have a sterling record, right? None of us have a perfect track record of success. We can all think of failures. We can all think of times when we're embarrassed about 
how we lived or what we did. We can all think of sins. And, and, and so sometimes we're just overwhelmed with shame and, 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 and we're just crushed with that. But, but the Lord lifts our head because he reminds us, if you're a child of God, if you've put your trust in me and what Christ has done for you, then then all of that is forgiven. The shame has been removed. You have the love and the acceptance of God, and it lifts, it lifts our, our heads. Have you ever, uh, if you remember back to your school days, uh, where there's sometimes when you would go in to take a test, maybe high school or college, and uh, you really prepared. You did everything that you were asked to do. You did more than you were asked to do. And you were ready to take that test. And you walked in with your head high. You walked in with confidence. Listen, teacher, bring it on. I am ready to take this test. And then, if you're like me, you can remember many other times when you walked in with a whole different attitude. When your head was hanging low and, and you knew that you hadn't prepared, that you hadn't studied, and you were scared to death the questions that might be on that test that you wouldn't be able to answer. Well, listen, what this reminds us is that Christ has done our preparation. See, I haven't lived a perfect life, but Christ lived a perfect life for me. I haven't always been the best dad. I haven't always been the best husband. I haven't always kept my word. I haven't always had the highest integrity. None of us are perfect. But Christ has been perfect for us. And he died on the cross for us. And so we, we are confident, not because of who we are, but because we know that the Father sees us through Christ and Christ has prepared for us. Christ has lived a, a perfect life for us. And so David was able to say, Lord is my shield, the Lord is my glory, and the Lord is the lifter of, of my head. Now, I want to show you one more thing because, because I, I, David was convinced of this. How was David convinced that that's who God was for him? And how can we be convinced? Well, I think there's something really interesting if you look back at verse 3, as we said, it begins by saying, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. Do you know the first time the Bible ever uses the word shield to refer to God? I, I just believe that, that David likely had this in his mind. David was a student of Scripture, and he would have known this. He would have known that God... In Genesis chapter 15, that he had been called the shield. And he would have had this in his mind. Let me just walk through Genesis 15 for a moment. In Genesis 15, 1, the Bible says, After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, Do not be afraid, for I am your shield and your reward. And he goes on. But that's the first time. God says, I am your shield. And so, David, I think, just in his prayer time, he knew the Bible and he remembered that. The Lord is my shield. That's why he said that. The Holy Spirit brought it to his, to his memory. Well, that's Genesis 15.1. If you go down a few verses, let me read verse 8. Abram asked a question. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? God had made some promises uh, to Abraham, Abraham, and uh, said, I'll be your shield. 
So Abraham listens to that, and he's inclined to believe, but he says, how can I be sure of that? And so if you read the rest of the story, you, you, you see that God tells Abraham to get several animals. This is so far into the way we would do things today, but, but listen to this. He says, get several animals and cut them in half and put, line up one half of the animals over here and line up the other half of the animals over there and leave a space in between them. That's pretty odd, right? But that was one of the ways that you would make an agreement, that you would make a promise in those, in those days. That's how you would, uh, you would recognize that a promise was a solemn promise. And so God instructs Abraham, Abraham to do this, and, and he must have been thinking, okay, now I'm going to have to make a promise to God. God has told me he's going to give me and my family these lands. I've asked him, how can I be sure? And then he's, he says, God says, you'll set up this, uh, this system so that you can make a promise. But once he gets it set up, here's something odd that happens. God doesn't ask Abraham to make a promise. God makes a promise to Abraham. And you read about that in verses 17 and 18. It says, when the sun had set, it was dark and a smoking fiery pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant or a promise with Abraham. And so David remembered that. David remembered when he was, when he was so brokenhearted that things were going so badly and he was losing his throne and his son had turned against him. He says, Lord, I know that you are my shield and I know that you are my glory and that you are the lifter of my head. And here's how I know, because you are a God who makes and keeps promises. You have made promises to my forefathers. You kept those promises. And I know, I believe that you'll keep these promises to me. You are the lifter of my head. You know, there's so many things today that we don't know. We don't know when or how the pandemic will end. Uh, we keep thinking we know, and then the next week it changes. Uh, we don't know when or how the economy will recover. Uh, we don't know how we will ever experience uh, full justice uh, for every person. We don't know when the violence uh, will end, all violence. We also don't know when your husband will quit drinking, or when your rebellious child will return, or when the cancer will be healed. There are a lot of things we don't know. But one thing we do, Psalm 3, 3. Lord, you are the shield around me. You are my glory, and you are the one who lifts up my head just with your head bowed and eyes closed. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I hope you've clearly heard the gospel today. Your hope is not in living a perfect life and never failing and never falling, but it is in the Lord absorbing the blows that you are due because of your sin. And we have to put our trust in the Lord. Lord, I trust that Jesus lived a perfect life for me and that Jesus died for me. And I trust that Jesus has absorbed the blows that were mine. He is my shield, and I accept that. And I turn from my sins, and I embrace you, Lord, out of thanksgiving for what you've done for me. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, that's where it begins. 
The Lord can be your shield. If you're going through a hard time today, I encourage you with this. The Lord is your glory. He's the best thing about you. And he has not left you. Let me encourage you with this. He will lift up your head. He will give you confidence and assurance, not because of the life you've lived, but because of the life that Christ has lived in your stead. Father, thank you that I can say with David, even in a time of crisis, that you are my shield, that you are my glory, and that you are the lifter of my head. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.